probably be raining next Sunday or something. Who knows? But we're going to enjoy uh, the sunshine of God's presence here and the sunshine of his love in this place. And let's just uh, commit this time into his hands to, uh, this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for your goodness, God. And, Lord, we do. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Lord, you sent your son to die on that cross. Lord, you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you that you have reconciled us to you. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out upon this place. Lord, for every troubled heart and mind, Lord, we cast our cares upon you. Lord, help our eyes to be open and to see the glory of Jesus Christ this morning. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship together. Well, welcome. Welcome. Could you guys come to worship today? You mind if I start with scripture real fast? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This is Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and the truth, his truth, his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. We're going to sing Give Thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. His love womb, God. You were there. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. 
all throughout our days, God. We thank you for speaking truth and life into us, God. I pray this day that you would just strengthen us, God, by the power of your word, by the power of your name, by your truth, God. The truth of the world, if it does not line up with yours, it's not. It's just not. Divine truth, that's where we need to find our, our wisdom. So this is a new song for you guys. It's called You Are the Light. We'll do our best to...
thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise God we thank you for loving us first God we thank you for drawing our hearts closer to you and God you are worthy worthy of all of our praise God you're worthy of every song that we could ever sing God worthy of every song we could ever sing lift it up Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, you are. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring, we live for you. We live for you. Jesus, sing it out. Jesus, the name above every other name. You know it, just raise your hands to heaven. Worship. Jesus, the only one who could ever
chorus one more time, worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, God, thank you for sending Jesus. God, thank you for giving us life. We thank you for giving us breath in our lungs. God, we thank you for choosing to create us, God. May we know you more and may we make you known, God, just the way we live, God. We praise you for your faithfulness.
you there was none like you God we thank you for your faithfulness God we thank you for your goodness God we thank you that you are the one thing you are truth God your word is truth God bring to our remembrance Holy Spirit one scripture one scripture that gives us hope one thing that we cling to God thank you for your word because your word is truth and you will bring to pass the things that you have started God we commit our lives to you this day, God. There is none like you, God. There is none like you, God. God, forgive us for our lack of faith. God, may faith arise in this house, Lord, and the enemy be scattered. God, may your spirit rule and reign in our thought life, in our souls, God. We praise you, God, for your goodness. You are good. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Sing that again. Above you, God, no one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Your mercy, your mercy flows like a if this is okay. Um, my phone just beeped. Probably many of yours just beeped. There's an Amber Alert. And we it popped up, and then all of a sudden we sang, 
suffering children are safe in your arms. So, Lord God, we lift up this situation to you, God. And in the name of Jesus, we thank you for a safe return of this child. God, what the enemy has meant for harm, God, turn it for good. We pray for victory right now. In the name of Jesus, God, you are able to stop whatever this situation is. God, we lift it up to you right now. Bring that child safely home. Suffering children, safe in your arms, safe back to their family right now, Lord God. Just stop this, this work of the enemy. God, convict this person right now and bring this person safely. May there be a victory report in the name of Jesus because, God, there is no like you. Sing it out. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is not like you. It just came to me with people. People, you know, God is searching for us. Just like these parents are probably just in a panic. God is desiring, not that he's in a panic, but he's desiring us to be with him. Amen. Amen. He's desiring us. Go ahead, Pastor Steve. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We have several requests that we need to take before the Lord. And if you need to be seated, feel free to be seated. If you want to keep standing, you can keep standing. Um, our CMA motorcycle group is over in eastern Washington right now just to pray for safe travel and mercies for them. The Harper family, uh, Judy particular, has been going through some great, uh, her, her ailments that she's been fighting for quite some time have been flaring up quite horribly, and so we need to keep Judy especially, but the Harper family in prayer. Sharon is out of the hospital, well, she's in the hospital, but she's no longer intubated. Our friend Sharon, she is able to talk and communicate. I want to let you know, she's almost like a different person. She didn't care how much longer she'd be in the hospital. She didn't care if she had to go to a nursing home. Just the gratitude that was pouring out of her heart was absolutely deeply humbling and encouraging to see, like, God, you met Sharon. Uh, even when she was in that diabetic coma, Scott Shoemate had uh, shoulder surgery a couple days ago. It was a very difficult surgery. He needs continued prayer. Bill Penio is in the hospital. Robert Ratliff's on hospice care. Hallie Bud's been on my heart lately. She is uh, battling Parkinson's right now. Uh, she hasn't been here for a lot of years, but I keep up the best I can with the uh, Bud family. And uh, Derek over here mentioned that he had some motorcycle friends that flipped their motorcycle here about a week ago and are in Harborview and have a long road to recovery. So all these requests are huge. And plus, let's not forget the families in Texas that lost loved ones this week that God would bring comfort and strength somehow into this situation, into their community. If you have a need as well, if you'd like to lift your hand up to the Lord, and we're going to take these requests to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, God. Lord, we lift up, uh, Lord, those families in Texas, Lord, who lost children. Lord, they lost the wife. Even a husband of 25 years passed away of a broken heart, God. We pray, God, for intervention. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit that she would just move in mercy, compassion, Lord, to heal and to bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, all these names that I have mentioned, Lord, and even others that I perhaps failed to mention, I pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit upon them in their home, in hospital rooms. Lord, we pray that you would go before them. May they sense your loving kindness. May they sense the healing touch of Jesus Christ. Lord, for our motorcycle friends who are on the other side of the mountains, we pray, God, for a safe travel and mercies.
pour out your spirit upon them as well, Lord, and use them by the grace of God. Lord, we commit this church, every family, every individual here, every need that is represented, and we pray, Father, that they would sense your great love and compassion for them, Lord, that you are for them, you are not against them. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated if you're able to. Thank you, worship team, so much. It's good to be together in God's house. And I just want to bring a few announcements to our attention. Welcome back to Miss Linda Fox. She has sold her property and uh, in McCleary and is in the process. Things got tangled up, and now she has to be here till Tuesday. And we're happy that you get to be here till Tuesday, Linda. Uh, Sally, it's good to see you. Are you on your way moving? Okay, move on. When are you moving? June 5th. So next Sunday. We will pray for you. Praise God. We will pray for you as well. Jesus. And there's somebody over. Debbie, good to see you back, Debbie. Debbie Penny is over here. Be sure to greet her. I know she's been struggling as well. And, and uh, just keep her in prayer as well. The Lord is good. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to uh, just make a few quick announcements. Rick Harper is having a birthday on May 30th. Charlotte Shoemate is having a birthday on June 1st as well. I don't know there's many anniversaries coming up, but um, uh, that's it for right now. We are continuing our women's Bible study on Tuesday, May 31st with Della Shields. It's on the topic is on the covenant at 1 p.m. in the fellowship hall. I've heard good reports about that. And also on Wednesday night, we're continuing to have our Bible studies. Uh, the topic is revival, but the topic is that God just reawakening and quickening the body of Christ. We need the Lord in this day more than ever. Amen. We need him so bad. And you know what? The Lord wants us more than we want him. You're quiet. And it's okay. It's been a tough week, church. It's been a tough week for our nation. It's been a tough week for many people. I do plan to, um, the title for my message this morning is, is uh, Refuge from Fear, I believe. I don't know what I put on YouTube or Facebook. If you're there, welcome. But it is in reference to what's happened this week because I don't know how you cannot be deeply troubled when so many children lose their lives. How can you not be thinking about, my goodness, Lord, what has happened to our nation? Uh, Fifty years ago, people had shotguns in the back of their pickup trucks and nobody thought twice about it, hardly. It's not, it's not the fault of guns or ammunition. You don't even need a gun to cause bodily harm to somebody. It's just the condition, the moral condition of our nation has completely uh, gone down the tube, so to say. But we are here. I'm going to come down here if you don't mind. I'd like to be a little bit closer. Uh, but we are here and to address you and to bring God's word uh, to our hearts in order to hopefully bring encouragement, comfort, strength uh, for the battle that we are in. Proverbs chapter 29, 18. I won't be camped out there long this morning. But uh, you can, it might be best for some of this just to write references down. <clears throat> Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, Old King James will say, Where there is no vision, the people perish or the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. New King James says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. We see that continually in our day and age. What that means with no revelation, when God's word is not upheld, 
when there's no revelation of God's word, when the teaching of God's word does not go forth, and not just simply in the church, although it is primarily where it ought to go forth, but when God's word is not upheld in a nation, the people perish and they cast off restraint. As I was thinking about the events of this week, a verse I bring up often to my I bring up often in sermons is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. It says, "And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. When lawlessness abounds, the love of many grows cold. These two verses went to my mind primarily in reference to thinking what would, what would enable an 18, 19-year-old kid, was he 18 or 19? 18-year-old kid to do something so heartless. I have a 10-year-old fourth grade son. Now, what would cause somebody, enable somebody to so lose their inhibitions and so lose their respect for human life to do such a thing? And what came to my mind, that thing going off again? Lord, whoever needs help, we pray for help in Jesus' name. Lord, bring the authorities uh, to the attention of the authorities and the right people. Bring protection and safety in Jesus' name. Amen. But what came to my mind is when God's word and God's standards are not upheld, the people cast off restraint. And we see that in our nation, and it can come across as a hobby horse, so to say, when issues of morality are brought up from a pulpit, so to say. But I want to go back further, 30, 40 years ago. When I was a grade school kid, I'll never forget the first family that I met in my neighborhood where it was a, a kid who was a friend of mine, a casual friend, but he brought up the topic and he said that his parents were divorced, and I didn't even know what that was. I was like, divorced? What are you talking about? I mean, I, there was no conception of a mom and dad not staying together and raising children. I was utterly floored. That was in the early 80s. Well, today, it's almost the opposite. What? Your mom and dad are still married? <laughs> and so I'm going back further than the moral condition of our nation here and today, because what happens is when God's standards are not upheld, God's standards and his word is for our safety. Sometimes I lose, I don't have better illustrations, but uh, when you're going down the highway, it's the most simplistic. We don't want somebody saying, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to drive down. I'm in the mood to drive down the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road, and you're just going to have to get out of my way. If everyone does that, we have complete chaos and mayhem. If somebody says, I don't like that red light, you know, green means stop and red means go. You know, I identify the red as green and the green as red. It's in my heart what I want to do. Not trying to be funny here so much as it makes a great point that when God's standards and his word is cast aside, and we see that on a national level with our, our government uh, legalizing and trying to promote lawlessness and trying to call what is right wrong and what is wrong right, the evidence or the fruit of that is people then begin to cast off restraint. And so here, marriage that used to be upheld, it used to be, and let me preface this, backtrack a short little bit. If you are divorced, or if you're going through a divorce, or if you have been, gone through a very sinful lifestyle, so to say, I am not throwing stones at you this morning by God. I promise you, I am simply stating matters of fact that are affecting the nation. Please say amen. amen. 
And so here for marriage, if marriage is not upheld as between one man and one woman, that is the best environment for children to be raised in. When that is broken, and I do understand that there are circumstances where a husband and wife don't remain together if it's highly abusive and just horrible things going on, I'm not saying that there should never be a breakdown, but God hates divorce, bottom line. You look at the fruit of children, of what takes place in the lives of children, I hardly find any children, especially grade school age children, that in their, their um, five, six, seven, eight years old, that they're like, I am so glad that my mom and dad split up. It's just awesome. No, sadly, it's absolutely traumatizing for children to go through divorce. And so here, God's desire, his laws, his ways, uh, marriage and family, it ought to be one man, one woman, it ought to be that family unit staying together because there is a strength that is found in a godly family. Well, here, marriage is now being redefined to between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, and now a man can supposedly have a baby. It's just utter nonsense. And I say this in utter seriousness. I've poked fun. I mean, how can you not laugh in a sense about that? But now when you see what's happened in Texas, it's no joking matter. It never has been and never should have been a joking matter because when there is no vision, when there is no revelation, clear presentation of God's word, when his standards are not upheld, people cast off restraint. And so by the government legalizing sin and trying to promote sin to where now even five-year-olds can change their gender, we are beginning to see just the beginning fruit of what is going to take place in this nation so long as godlessness is promoted in this nation. The world is going, to, is going to promote Pride Month in the month of June to support every alternative lifestyle except a godly lifestyle. I mentioned a week or two ago, maybe the churches across America, we ought to have a, a, a month of, of humbleness, humility, and fasting, and sackcloth and ashes in the month of June to say, oh God, have mercy upon this nation. Why? Because it's not a private issue. It is not a private issue. What that young man did is the fruit of a home that he was raised in, an environment that he was raised in. Parents who were absent quite possibly, I wonder where the dad was in that guy's life. And to allow children just to sit in front of video games nonstop and media nonstop and to be disconnected, moms and dads disconnected from children, and then wonder, well, how can an 18-year-old to be so calloused so heartless to walk into an elementary school and take the lives of fourth graders. Well, it's the fruit of the society that we live in. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean that what he did was right. What he did was horribly wicked and wrong, where there is no presentation and upholding of God's standard of right and wrong. The people cast off restraint. There will be a phrase you'll hear in the month of June, love is love, so leave us alone. No, love is not love. Love has boundaries. And without boundaries, there can be no love. The next thing on the agenda is not simply to have same-sex marriage. The next thing on the agenda is to remove age differences. To where now if a kid is under 18 or 16, it doesn't matter. Love is love. There's no boundaries if the world throws away God's revelation of how we ought to love. And the problem with that is when you cast off God's boundaries, it causes great harm. It causes great damage both mentally, emotionally, socially. It destroys a home, a family, the fabric of society. Then you see kids that are absolutely lost, 
lost, lost, wandering, perishing aimlessly. They are so broken. Why? Because mom and dad are so lost in themselves as well. And so the only hope that we have for this nation is to have a returning to God's word somehow. Why? Because when lawlessness abounds, when God's standards are broken down and now the definition of marriage is being obliterated and even five-year-olds are being taught to question their gender and identity, what happens is actually the net result is the love of many is going to grow even more cold. I don't want to see what happened to this week happen again, but sadly, quite possibly it will. Lawlessness, when it says iniquity or lawlessness will abound, what does lawlessness mean? It means no law. It emphasizes an attitude of disregard for the statutes of God. It means living as if there is no law. How often have you heard the, you know, basically people don't care what the Bible has to say or the church has to say. If I love somebody or something, I'm going to love it. Lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God's. Lawlessness says God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my contrary desires. I become a law to myself. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern his creation. It signifies everything that is contrary to the will and law of God and is more intentional and flagrant sin. It is direct and open rebellion against God and his ways. This is strong stuff. Lawlessness is direct and open rebellion against God and his ways. It puts self above God, and it goes back to the Garden of Eden with the knowledge of the tree, uh, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. God says, don't touch it. The day you touch it, you will surely die. Satan deceives Eve and says, you won't really surely die. For the day you touch it, God knows that your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What happened when Eve partake of, partook of that fruit is, yes, her eyes were open, but what she was saying by reaching out to partake of that forbidden fruit was, I will be the one to determine what is right and wrong in my life. I will not allow God to direct my life. Think it's a small deal? What's, what's the big deal with a little bit of rebellion? Oh, a little bit of rebellion is like a little seed, and that little seed begins to grow, and then we see the horrors of what happened in Texas this week. And sadly, and I'm not going to poke jokes because it's not a time to joke, but people who are blaming the guns and stuff, that is so pointless when we don't look at the immorality in our nation and rather have a huge, massive humbling in our nation to say, my goodness, this nation has gone incredibly off track of what God has intended to the point of where it has cast off all restraint and the love of many has grown cold. I have mentioned before in sermons that God in his, in, his, uh, in his wrath, sometimes he progressively turns people or a nation over to the stubbornness of their own heart. In Psalms chapter 81, verse 11 through 12. Psalms chapter 81, verse 11 through 12. It says, but my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust and they walked in their own councils. My people, now this is sadly talking about the nation of Israel. This wasn't even talking about the unsaved. This was God's very people. God's people would not listen to his voice. Israel would have nothing to do with God. God's response in verse 12, and I will say God's response in verse 12 
it was not an immediate response. It was a response after actually hundreds of years of sending his messengers, the prophets, to warn the nation of Israel, please repent, return back to my will and my ways. And they consistently, persistently refused to return to the Lord. And so here in verse 12, after all of that stubbornness, to, the, to turn them over to their own heart's lust, that word in the Hebrew for lust means stubbornness, it is the state or condition of refusing to change any behavior. Because God's people refused to, to turn from their own heart's lust, their stubborn condition of refusing to change behavior, they walked in their own counsels. God gave them over to that. Psalms 106, verse 13. Psalms 106, about 25 chapters up, speaking about God's people, sadly, again. Psalms 106, verse 13 says that God's people soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But God's people lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and they tempted God in the desert. So God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. These are frightening verses to me because I can see a progression. I will say I don't know that our nation was ever a completely godly nation. I know that we had many godly men and women who founded our nation. This is Memorial Day weekend, and it's a time that we ought to remember and be thankful to God for the sacrifice of those who laid down their lives for the freedoms that we have. They did not die for transgenderism. The men and women who died in the Civil War, the men and women who died in the Revolutionary War, in World War I, World War II, they did not die for, for Pride Month. Why did they die and why did they lay their life down? They laid their life down and they shed their blood for our freedom so that way we could serve God without fear. And to turn our liberty into what the King James says, lasciviousness, unbridled lust, just do whatever feels good, is an abomination in the eyes of God. It's something that we ought to be horribly uh, awakened to, to say, God, have mercy on this nation. It's not enough simply to say, you know what? You do what you want to do, and it doesn't affect me. No, what people do in their private life affects the whole nation. It affects a fourth-grade classroom. So what is our response to be? I believe our response is to be a great humbling, a fasting, a prayer, a return to the fear of the Lord. Not an angry response where we start pointing fingers and shaking a fist at somebody for their sin. No, it ought to be like Daniel's response. God, forgive me. For Lord, where have I cast aside your word? Lord, where have I ignored your laws and your ways and said, you know what? I know what you say, Lord, but I just want to do what I want to do. If I am living in lawlessness, Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to Jesus on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied and cast out devils and done many wonderful works in your name? Sadly, horrifyingly, Jesus says to those people, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work iniquity or lawlessness. It's a big deal, church. Some people think, well, isn't God just loving? I mean, what, why does he get bent over shape about morality? Why does God get bent, over, you know, bent out of shape, I should say, out of you know, laws and, and what love should be or shouldn't be? Because look at the fruit of what we are living in in this nation. Who is the one who ought to have the authority to tell us what is right or wrong in this world? 
There's only one, it's God. He made us, he created us, he knows what is in our best interest. Sadly, Israel, they turned away from the Lord, and as a result, the Lord turned them over to the stubbornness of their own heart. Romans chapter 1, do we see this in the New Testament as well? Pastor Steve, I wish you'd focus on the good news. Well, Romans chapter 1 is found in the New Testament as well, and it describes the progression of God turning over people, and sadly, he's talking about his own people here as well, when they progressively turn away from the truth of God's word. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, when you're there, you can say amen. Amen. <clears throat> It says, although because the, even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful. But they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 21 says, they knew God but they didn't glorify him as God. What does it mean to glorify him as God, to show reverence, to honor God, to say, Lord, this life is a gift that you have given to me. You have given me this body, this mind, this heart, this spirit of mine, Lord, and I want to glorify and honor you in the choices that I make in this world. They didn't glorify him, though. Neither were they thankful. This is huge. In the Old Testament and the New ingratitude or no thank, uh, an unthankful heart is actually a very horrible condition for our hearts to be in. I was talking to both Sharon, uh, our dear friend who's in the hospital, but I was also talking to another friend who was sharing with me about this 35-year-old friend who has some type of an ailment similar to cerebral palsy, but yet this lady, she's got incredible gratitude, and she sees the good side of life, and she's probably never get married, never have kids and stuff, but you know what? The love of God in that lady is deeply convicting, because when you see somebody in that physical condition, suddenly you've never had a bad day in your life. Right. I told my kids I was driving, I, I just talking to some kids this week, and I mentioned a guy who has no arms and no legs. Nick, I don't, I always butcher his name, Vizuzhachak or something, I don't know how, but he has no arms, literally, and he's got like this little foot thingy for a foot to hold himself up, and I said, you know, when you see that guy, suddenly you've never had a bad day in your life, and all the things that we complain about and moan about and groan about is like, God, I've cut two arms and two feet and two hands, and I can walk around and move around. I saw another book on Facebook of a guy that has no legs, literally. He just has arms, and he's a mechanic. He changes tires. He works on, on cars, on motors, and he can climb a ladder with no legs. I'm like, God, I've never had a bad day. <laughs> I think I sent it to you, Leroy. Like, that was awesome. Church ingratitude is one of the signs of the end times neither were they thankful the children of israel god's people when they don't glorify god they say you know what i know that you gave me this gift of life this body that i live in but i'm not going to honor you with it and they're all of a sudden they're ungrateful unthankful always nitpicking and finding the wrong in everything what was god's response in verse 22 or verse 24 therefore god gave them over to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. This started probably back maybe even 80 years ago, and I know we have younger children here, so I'll try to be careful, but when we had the invention of movies, 
I think there was, that wasn't the invention of evil, by the way, but the Roaring Twenties was a very licentious time period. We would look at the Roaring Twenties before the Great Depression, and we think, I mean, nothing wrong. No, it was a time of casting off restraint in our, in our country. And then all of a sudden, the Great Depression comes, and I believe God was trying to snap the attention back of our country and nation to say, wait a second, don't go, the path, don't go down those pathways. Then we have the invention of rock and roll. And you listen to Elvis Presley or the Beatles or the whoever, you know, and you listen to that stuff, eh, you know, that's just, you know, kind of neat. I don't know if you like that music. I don't care if you do. But then you get into the 60s and you get into the 70s and the hippie movement and Jimi Hendrix and all that, and you see this massive casting off of restraint. Casting off of restraint, and now we're seeing the fruit of what is happening in our nation again. I keep bringing this up because I don't want us to lose the shock of what happened on this past Monday or Tuesday. and Instead, to say, rather, Lord, this is a reason, an alarm going off for our nation, especially for the church, to humble itself and come back to God. I don't want it to be chalked up to the gun, and I don't want it simply, by the way, to be chalked up to mental illness. I'm not minimizing mental illness. Mental illness can be very real, but it can also be an excuse to throw off any responsibility for our nation as a whole. Well, they were just mentally broken. That 18-year-old was not born mentally broken. So God gave them over to uncleanness. You can look up in your Greek dictionaries. Uncleanness primarily has to do with the physical sins where we see all the stuff taking place in our nation that God gave them over to. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Mother Earth. Mother Earth. Earth is not your mother. Right. <laughs> They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And men did the same thing in verse 27. Verse 28, was it bad enough? No. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... They didn't want God even in their heads, so God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. I need to turn to Romans 1 and read the rest of it here. So they didn't even want to keep God in their mind, so God turned them over to a debased mind, and what was the result of that? Verse 29, therefore they were filled, everybody says filled. I want us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone is filled with something. Every person, Christian or unchristian, unsaved, is filled with something. Their mind, their heart, their thoughts, their desires is filled with something. As a result of people not honoring God, they weren't thankful. They didn't want to glorify him as God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped creation rather than the creator. Therefore, they were filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, on and on, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, unforgiving, unmerciful, and the list goes on. Frightening, church, to see and consider that when 
God's word where there is no revelation, when God's word is not upheld, when God's standards are set aside, especially from the sake of a national leadership point of view. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19, just write it down. This is speaking about King Ahaz. It says this, The Lord was humbling Judah because of King Ahaz of Judah, for he had encouraged his people to sin and had been utterly unfaithful to the Lord. New King James says that God was bringing Judah low because of Ahaz the king, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah, and he had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Sadly, I believe that we will see more of the downward progression of our nation so long as on a national leadership level and even churches across this nation, if God's word is not upheld, if his standards are not upheld, if we go with the ways of the world to say, you know what, okay, love is love, you can love your dog for all I care. If we go that route, we are in dire straits, church. God's word brings order, it brings peace, it brings stability. I am so thankful, humbled by God's grace to allow my wife and I to be married for 25 years this June. It's deeply, I'm so, so, so grateful for it. I am literally, in a sense, for lack of a better word, I would be petrified, almost terrified at the thought of divorce because of the consequences of what would happen to our children. The world says, oh, kids are resilient. They'll get through with it. I'll say it gently. Maybe a month ago, I'd be yelling and screaming, that's a bunch of baloney, that's garbage. People will stand before God Almighty for what they've put children through. Jesus is the one who said, if you cause a little one to stumble, if you lead them into sin, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck. That's strong, strong language. So what is our response to be? I believe that our response is to be to say, God, would you return, first of all, the church back to a reverence and a fear of the Lord? Why? Because without a deep reverence and a fear of the Lord, there's no hope for this nation either. If the church doesn't respond, I will say, I would hope that every church would, but I will say, God, may the true church, those who truly love you, return to a reverence and a fear of the Lord, a holding on to God's word and his standards to say, you know what? We don't have to understand God's reasons for everything to obey him. Sometimes my kids will question me, well, why, why, why? You ever had a kid say, why, why, why? And then you eventually say, it doesn't matter at this moment why, you're gonna do what I tell you to do. I believe a godly parent will eventually explain the why, but God doesn't have to explain the why before we obey. My wife and I have had conversations with our children. Do they do it? No, they, they, they are a work in progress as I was too. But this is what I tell them when I don't tell them why yet. I say, son or daughter, you need to learn to listen to me and not question me for this reason. There may become a car coming down that road someday and I'm gonna call your name and say, Gabby, Christopher, stop, come back here. If you are gonna be questioning, well, why? And you're gonna run ahead, it could save your life if you learn to listen and respond right away. And besides, that's what God's called for anyways. With the same with the Lord, how often do we question God? Well, why, God? Whew, oh my goodness, I can't believe we would ever have that heart to say, oh, why, Lord? 
If God has said it, church, truly, we ought to say, well, Lord, in your infinite wisdom, you'll explain it eventually, and eventually this darkened mind will understand. But Lord, if you have spoken it to me, you say, Lord, that in marriage, you know what? People should not come together until they're married. They shouldn't be together before they're married. I'm, I'm using euphemisms right now. They shouldn't know each other before until they're married. There's for a really good reason. Well, why? God said it. It's called fornication. No fornicators will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you're changing God's word, God's ways. You're violating his boundaries. What you're really saying is, I don't care what you say. I know what you say, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyways, and I'm going to make life work my way. How many of you want to go to heaven? No peace, I mean, there's perfect peace, no sickness, no disease, no violence, no anger, no 18-year-olds walking into heaven to shoot up heaven. It's a place of perfect love, perfect joy that will last absolutely forever. There is nothing that will decay. There is nothing that will tear it down. There is no storms. There is no violence, no earthquakes. There is no hurricanes. Heaven is an absolutely beautiful place. We all want to go there. At least we're here on Sunday morning. If we all want to go there, why don't we prepare now and live in this world, in this life, as if we're preparing for there. Because when we get to heaven, we're not going to be questioning the Lord. Say, well, I don't like what you have to say, and I'm not going to do it. Because if we do that, we're going to ruin heaven. Everyone in heaven obeys the Lord quickly, immediately, and with joy. Why? Because his wisdom and his ways are infinitely good for everyone involved and for his kingdom. And so with the Lord, how do we respond? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 the Lord says through Moses to his children, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments so that it would be well with them and with their children forever. God wants us to reverence him, to fear him. Why? For this reason, that as we keep his word in our life, it brings safety and protection for us, and not only for you as an individual, but also for your children after you. There's talk today, and I don't want to get too deep in it, but about privilege, and that if you're a certain color skin, you have privileges. And I, I don't believe that one, but I do believe, sadly, there is discrimination. I will agree to that. But I will not agree that simply because of the color of someone's skin that they have super great privileges that, you know, nobody else could possibly have. My parents or your grandparents or whomever, if you are living in a blessed life right now, if you are privileged, there's a parent or a grandparent or somebody in that family tree who had to make good choices. They had to make a choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to be an alcoholic. You know what, I'm going to school and I'm going to get an education. You know what, I am not going to gamble my money away. You know what, I am not going to be unfaithful to my spouse. I'm going to remain married and I'm going to raise my family in the ways of the Lord. Somebody in your family history, if you're experiencing privileges in your life, it's because you have a mom, dad, or grandpa, grandma who made good choices in their life. 
Sin is no respecter of persons. It's no respecter of the color of skin. If you make poor choices, if you choose drugs, alcohol, gambling, if you choose immorality, sin's no respecter of persons. It's going to tear your life apart. And so God says through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, Oh, that my people had such a heart in them that they would fear me, that they would keep my commandments always. Why? Because God's a horrible dictator? No, because God knows what is best for my life. My mom and dad, by his grace, were married for almost 50 years before my dad left this world, and it wasn't because my dad was such a wonderful guy, or my mom, even though, Mom, I love you, she is a wonderful lady, it's God's grace, but you know what? I'm, I am very blessed because those two were together as long as that they were. If we keep God's words, if we follow his standards, none of us do perfectly, church. I understand that. But if we go back to God's word and says, Lord, you have your word, your ways, your design for our life. Our world in, in America right now has been turned into a very much a consumer nation, consumerism. You don't have the right deodorant. You don't have the right toothpaste. You don't have the right car. You don't have a big enough house. You don't have this, and everything is about consume, 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 consume. What does God's word have to say? You shall not covet. Go back to the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his pickup truck. I don't know why people are buying big pickup trucks right now, by the way. I see these big diesel gas guzzlers, and they got the new... new um, license plates on them. If you have a big truck, God bless you. But people buying them now, I'm like, what are you thinking, my friend? <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm getting off track here. God's word says don't covet. The world says covet, get all you can and can all you get and just get more and more and more and more and more. God says don't covet. Be content with such things as you have. That's not what the world says. What is the fruit of being content versus being covetous? If you are content, I believe this country is facing a massive recession, massive depression that will probably make 1929 look like child's play. How do you even begin to survive something like that? Not with having a covetous heart. It's going to be a heart that says, Lord, give me this day my daily bread. And Lord, would you please root out every trace of covetousness and greed in my heart because Lord, I may simply have or find the bare minimum essentials of what I need to live and survive. If that's the case, Lord, your Holy Spirit and your good word and the promise that you have will make sure that I have an overflow of happiness and joy in my life, Lord. But Lord, if I live for this flesh and what my eyes can see, my ears can hear, and what I can touch with my hands, and I'm always craving more, 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 that type of person is in, being set up for complete misery, bondage, and failure. Why? Because they're living for the flesh. And so God has his word, his ways for our life, that if we will follow his ways and say, oh Lord, I've got a lot of learning to do, God's ways will be, bring peace to you. It'll bring stability to you. It'll bring hope to you. It'll change your values and priorities in a wonderful way to get you through the very difficult times. Proverbs 1.7, I'm going to read through a few verses really quick on the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 1427 chapter 1427 says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death 
The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. I'll never forget when I was 18 years old, I, oh man, my mom's watching again. Uh, you know, there are stories you've never told your mom and dad. Well, here goes another one, mom. I was in Springfield, Missouri, actually Kansas City. I flew over there because I went to Evangel University in Springfield, but I flew to Kansas City first, and I believe the drinking age was 18 in Missouri, and I will never forget getting off that plane in the airport, and for the first time, like a freight truck, temptation hit me to, to go into that restaurant and order a drink because you know what? Mom and dad aren't there. There wasn't a soul, as far as I knew, that knew me there, and it was overwhelming, the temptation so you know what? Now's your chance, Steve. It's even legal. By God's grace, I had a healthy, holy fear of my dad in my heart. <laughs> my dad would kill me if he found out. And a fear of the Lord. I bring up the joke about my dad, but I did have a healthy reverence and respect for my dad. And you know what? Because of a fear of the Lord and a fear of my dad, in a good sense, I walked right past that bar. I walked right past that restaurant. I was like, don't you dare. You get to that next boarding gate and you get on that plane and get your tail, your fanny to Springfield. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. That kid who walked into that school had absolutely zero fear of God. He had no conception of eternity and heaven or hell. What happens when there's no teaching on the Bible? There's no more teaching or belief. Everyone in this world system, I will say, I do not agree with this, but you go to a funeral, suddenly everyone's in heaven. I understand. I understand the intent. I understand the hope, but it's simply not reality. And so that young 18-year-old, he had no conception that he is going to stand before God Almighty. Listen, church, there is no justice in this world. I was talking to my kids. Was it right or wrong? It was a topic that came up, but I talked with them a little bit, and I said to my son especially, there's no justice in this world for that 18-year-old. He's dead. Where's justice for those families who lost their children? That kid is dead now. He so what? They've lost their loved ones. There's no justice in that. He asked, did they get him? Did the cops shoot him? Yeah, they shot him, but there's no... So? So at least he cannot cause any more future harm, but where is the justice for the families who lost 10 and 11-year-old children? There's no justice in this world. The Bible is the only place that offers even a remote smidgen, and I'll say a great hope to realize that young 18-year-old young man, godless man, who walked in to do that, he is going to have a rude awakening someday when the great white throne of judgment takes place. And he will stand before God Almighty, and he will have to give an account for every word, every action, every thought, every deed, every shot that he took. And he will have the books open, so to say, to see the damage of what he has done to those families, to those children, what he snuffed out and took away from those families. He took out, think about the potential that he snuffed out, children who don't get to grow up, don't get to get married, don't get to have children, their children don't get to have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, should the Lord tarry. His crime, he is going to pay eternally for that crime. Someone will say, well, what if he repented? I will tell you, I think it's 99.99% sure that young guy did not repent and suddenly have a true, genuine change of heart. Oh, 
I'm so sorry. I would say his heart, 99.99% was so hardened, that guy is separated from God forever right now. And he will stand before God to give an account. And that young man will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. There will be no escape. There will be no parole. There will be no more, okay, after a thousand years, you suffered enough. The crime that he committed was so heinous in the eyes of God that he will never be allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven ever. Preaching, that doesn't happen often enough, but we see the fruits, church, of what's happening in our nation where there is no revelation, there is no preaching of God's word. It's being cast aside from the government White House and even in churches, God's word's kind of being diminished, watered down, set aside. The people cast off restraint. There's no fear of God. There's no thought of even a possibility of a heaven or a hell, or if there's a heaven, everyone goes there. There's no judgment. God's too loving. He's too kind. I would say God is too loving and kind not to allow somebody to go to hell forever and ever who does something like that especially. In this room, people have been hurt. In this room, there are individuals that you've had somebody who's hurt you. Maybe they haven't shot you, but they have damaged you immensely, and you struggle with the area of God. How could you even want me to forgive them? Do you understand the damage of what they have done to me? And God wants you to understand that he does understand. He doesn't sweep sin underneath the rug and just overlook it. You pray for the salvation of that person, which means they don't pray some shallow, shallow prayer. Oh, forgive me, now I want to go to heaven. If that person who hurts you doesn't get genuinely saved, they are going to stand before Almighty God to give an account for their words and for their actions and what they did to violate you. They will give an account to him while there is no justice in this world. Most often there is justice with Almighty God. And you can entrust your life into his hands knowing that he does care, he does know, he does understand. And this world someday, every single individual who stood on planet Earth will stand before God Almighty to give an account for their life. That, my friends, is the only hope for this nation. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. I know it's an Old Testament verse, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God, Amen. profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. Actually, maybe it's chapter 14. No, chapter 12, verse 14. 13. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This preacher is almost done, church. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Why? Because God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing whether good or evil. Why do I continue to pastor church? There are so many other vocations out there and callings that are much easier. Is because from time to time, God reawakens my heart to the reality of eternity. That there is a God in heaven who loves 
his creation and he wants to redeem us. And mankind is desperately unaware of the danger that they are facing with eternity. My prayer for us, church, is that God, as I said last week, that we would walk in humility and brokenness. I won't say the whole month of June is going to be a month of humiliation and humbling stuff, but I really think that it ought to be a month in a sense, even privately, whether it's from the pulpit or not, where there's a humbling of our hearts, so to say, to say, God, innocent children, Lord, are losing their lives, not only through abortion, but Lord, our nation is in such deep trouble and turmoil. And God, I cannot afford just to simply say, well, it's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's problem until somebody walks through the doors of my school that my kids go to. It's somebody else's problem to somebody, God forbid, were to walk through the doors of this church. It's somebody else's problem until it touches our personal family. Our response ought to be, Lord, have mercy. Dear God, would you please bring, Lord, back your people to your word, to your standards? I'm not saying church in some Pharisee way where we look down our nose at other people. I'm saying in a brokenness and a humility that we would realize, Lord, our nation is off track. And Lord, I know certainly, especially before I got saved, but even after I gave my heart to Jesus, I participated in the moral decline of this nation by what I watched, what I allowed into my life, what I participated in. Lord, I am just as much a part of the guilt of this nation, so to say. I was a part of it, Lord. Lord, I want us to return to you and to your ways and to a reverence for the ways of God because, Lord, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the, the snares of death. Lord, I want my children to have a holy reverence for you, that, Lord, that you would deliver us from this evil. The last verse, I do need to share one more, and then I am closing. It's found in Psalms 34, church. For a time, I won't read the whole Psalms, but it's a wonderful Psalm for the time period that we're living in. The first three verses talks about praising and blessing the Lord and magnifying the Lord. Verse four goes on to say that I sought the Lord, and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him, speaking of to God, and they were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him, and he delivers them. God, I pray for your angels to encamp around about the saints of God. Lord, every family, every home represented here, Lord, we're here on a Sunday morning, the end of the month of May, and God, I pray that you would just quicken us, Lord. Lord, to have an awesome, wonderful reverence for you. Lord, that we would see not only your awesome, mighty power, but yes, your awesome love, your awesome justice. Lord, that we would stand in awe of who you are, God. Your angel encamps around those who fear him and you deliver them. Verse 8, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want, no lack to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? What does it mean to fear God? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, 
and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the face of the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jesus. Lord, we pray once again, Lord, for our nation. We thank you for this Memorial Day nation. The Memorial Day weekend, Lord, where we take time, hopefully many, not just to have a gathering. But Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of those who gave their life for our freedom. Lord, I just pray, though, for an awakening that we as your church, Lord, this small segment of your church would re realize it's not a freedom, though, that we could sin and run wild. It's not a freedom that these soldiers gave their life for. Lord, they sacrificed themselves no longer to be able to come home and raise their own family. They sacrificed their life, not that we could run wild into sin and do whatever we want to do, but Lord, that we could honor you, that we could serve you without fear. Lord, that we could do what you have called us to do and be who you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would increase our love for your word, our reverence for you and for your word. Lord, when we fail and falter, I pray that we would be quick to return to you, knowing, Lord, that you desire to do a complete work in our hearts, God. Lord, when fear tries to overwhelm or grip hearts, Lord, help us to understand that, Lord, your angel will encamp around those who fear you and reverence you. Lord, our hope is in you and the promise of eternal life. God, I pray that you would use us as salt and light, Lord, in our families, our homes, and this community. Lord, to bring hope to others who are in desperate need of salvation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, church. The way I'd like to close this morning's service is if you need salvation and you know that you are not on the narrow pathway and you need to truly surrender to Jesus Christ. And you want to be awakened to say, Lord, I, I want you to grip my heart, Lord. I want to truly find you that place of repentance. I don't want a shallow repentance. I don't want to just say a shallow prayer and get on my way and hope I'm going to heaven. Lord, I want a radical work of transformation to be begun in my life. Lord, that you would begin to change me day by day, glory to glory, to become the person that you've called me to become. If that's you, I'm going to invite you here up to the front of the sanctuary so we can pray for you as I close this service in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for these precious people. And Lord, as our hearts have ached this week to see the damage that was caused to these families, Lord, rather than have misdirected, misguided anger at Democrats or people trying to take away guns or the wrong situation, God, I pray that our hearts would ache over the moral, spiritual bankruptcy of this nation. God, I pray that our hearts would ache over our own brokenness and the way that we have turned from your ways, God. God, may our hearts ache at how we have rebelled and how we have set ourselves up our ideas, our philosophies, our opinions above your word. God, we repent. And God, we pray that you would restore peace and bring a revival to this nation. Have mercy, O oh God, and pour out your spirit one more time, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for individual needs as well, these altars are open. I pray that you have a blessed weekend and go in the grace of God. Have a good weekend, church.